G'day, and it's time to talk about Australia's favourite obsession, property. My name's Jeremy Cownan, and this is my podcast where I get to talk about my favourite topic and one that Australia has always been obsessed with, and that is property. See, all our lives are impacted by property in ways that we just so often don't notice. It's like we can't see the forest for the trees sometimes. And today, I've got a ripper guest. In fact, when I was first thinking about this podcast, this is a guy that came straight to mind. I just knew I had to have him on because the story just typifies what we want our listeners of the podcast to get out. And that is the whole idea of the continual role that property plays in influencing everyday life. See, there's not many people that would join the dots between an underlying property story and a charitable organisation, and yet this is exactly the story that my guest today will tell. The guy with a big heart from One Heart, Geordie Hill, welcome to Property, Australia's Favourite Obsession. Hi, Jezza. Thanks so much for having me today. I really appreciate the invite. I'm pretty excited about this one, Geordie. Oh, so, 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 so am I. I'm, I'm genuinely looking forward to the discussion and seeing where it lands. So, tell us, Geordie. You're a guy who's always worked in a professional area. You've been involved in commerce, business, sales, finance, all that sort of stuff. Yep. When was it that you first realised that you loved property? Oh, I'm going to go back to my wealth management days. So this is probably about two decades ago, mm-hmm. um, working in a, in a financial planning firm, um, but just started to explore other aspects of just away from the managed funds environment, um, you know, your traditional vanilla type offerings, and just started going to some seminars I was living in the country at the time and would, you know, trek down Melbourne um, and start to meet with some, some key people or key people that I thought at the time that were running sessions and seminars. And just from there, you know, I guess, had a genuine appreciation and passion for the asset class of property, um, even though, I guess, as a business, we weren't actively encouraging or recommending or advising our clients at the time. We had the stock standard unit trust, tick a box on the uh, application form, but you know, the the notion of actually getting involved in that tangible asset was something that I'm going to say probably about a good 18 or, or 20 years ago was something that lit a fire in myself um, and still to this day appreciate it and really enjoy the asset class. And that's, that business that you're talking about was a family business, wasn't it? You worked with your dad. Correct, yeah. Um, dad had been running a business, oh, don't quote me, for about 15 years and I'd moved to Melbourne, worked for a major uh, funds management or administration company called Asgard, um, still in operation today, and then sort of did three years corporate, met with a lot of financial planning and accounting practices during those three years, and then just saw a lot of ticks, um, tricks of the trade, so to speak, and agreements. So I thought, you know what, I'll go back and help Dad grow his, and we had some really, a really solid four-year period, and then we chose to um, exit in about the fifth year. Um, so yeah, had a, had a nice time in that space. So this is an interesting point that I think is really important, and that is that family is a very strong part of who you are, isn't it, Geordie? Uh, indi- yeah, uh, to me, you know, knowing you personally, it underpins much of what drives you, doesn't it? Mm, it does, absolutely. And it's something that, you know, now as a father of two beautiful children and, and happily married to Maria, um, you know, it's something what I've learned in the past and the teachings that you get throughout your own life growing up, you know, it's nice to then leverage off those teachings and, and, and put your own stamp on your own family now, you know, some decades down the, down the path. So, yeah, family's a huge driver for me and underpins a lot of the decisions that, that we make as a, as a family on a daily basis. So let's take that family bent a little bit further because your family has a very strong connection to being involved in charitable organisations, don't they? Mm, 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, my auntie and uncle, so dad on dad's side, dad's brother, um, they set up a beautiful children's village in Indonesia called Hope Village, which is still going to this day. Um, pretty similar to what we're doing in Kenya with and Uganda with One Heart. I always sort of say same, same, but different. A similar type model uh, in terms of the lives that we are impacting and ultimately, um, you know, those separate boards, there's no genuine day-to-day correspondence. But being family, we'll, we will share ideas and whatever it may be. And uh, my sister and my father are, are global ambassadors on the domestic front. And then, you know, if I look at my other sister, she's actively in the community up at the, the Macedon Ranges. And really, you know, mum, while she's not front and centre on a particular organisation, you know, she lives and breathes what it means to be about community and family and friendships and, and giving back, you know. So that's always, I guess, been a big part of who we are. And that's something that uh, inspires me still to this day and something that I genuinely want to teach um, and share with my children as they continue to grow up. So as a director of the charitable organisation One Heart, mm-hmm. um, in fact, let me say this. The website on One Heart, it, it, and, and I'll quote, it says, One Heart empowers the lives of orphaned and abandoned children living in Kenya by providing an education, a family home, and most importantly, love. In turn, mm-hmm. we are seeing whole communities transformed. Can you tell me, Geordie, in a nutshell, what does one heart mean to you? Oh, what does one heart mean? I mean, I think there's so many thoughts that literally come from that question. Um, yeah, that question, Jez. But to me, it's about impact and transformational change in the purest sense. And what I mean by that is that a lot of people that I've met on my journey, and I say this very respectfully, I hope it comes out the right way, you meet people that have good intents Good intention, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, but they sort of, they get lost. Maybe they just stay too high level and they don't really start to peel back the onion and look at what um, an organisation is actually about. And then if you take that a step further, show me the dynamics, show me the, the roles and responsibilities, show me the cash flow, the profit and loss. When you really start to dig down, that's when you can really see a number of moving aspects in an organisation or a charitable um, component. People will quickly donate to, you know, a monthly um, buzz feed that comes out for a particular time of the year. And I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not calling anyone out, but it's, but if you actually then start to research and understand what that organisation is about, show me tangible results, show me the outcome. I think a lot of people would be surprised, and I don't want to use the word charity because I think there's a lot of misconception with that word. Um, but obviously, we'll reference that during today's conversation. But yeah, I just think, you know, the, that, that true transformational change on a, if I can use the word, holistic level um, is something that, you know, we get to be involved with on a, on a daily basis, albeit we are all volunteers, um, and to bring about long-standing um, intergenerational transformational change is a pretty, a pretty powerful thing. And to see genuinely lives that are impacting, not on a superficial level, like, oh, we've just given an education scholarship to someone but you don't know what the end outcome is, even if they're still in, you know, whatever you're trying to impact three years later. So to really be involved at that grassroots level is something that's, um, you know, it's incredible. It's inspiring. It's, it's empowering. It's challenging. You know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of, um, we see a lot of ugly things over there, Jay. That's the reality of the, the mm. world that we do live in um, and the impact we're having. But, you know, I was asked a little while ago by a very, um, successful entrepreneur in, in, in Melbourne. We had dinner one night. I said, mate, why? Why do you do what you do? And without sounding melodramatic, you know, it's almost, it's almost the opposite question. What if we don't do what we do? 
Mm, yeah, yeah, yep, yep. So, oh. yeah, we, we're inspired by that. Um, I would say talking to you about One Heart and, and reading and, and, and having some level of involvement that um, um, at an arm's length, of course, that that the idea of that creating continuous, sustainable social and community improvement seems to be the underlying driver. Mm, absolutely it does. Yeah, most definitely. Because, again, you can go in there and give someone a, a medical pack or an education kit or a, you know, a one-year sponsorship to, or a scholarship to a school program, but... And then what? You know, how are you tracking that? What are the tangible benefits? So once we actually started to build out the model, and again, we'll, we'll obviously touch on that in today's session, but you then start to grow and evolve and your ideas become bigger and the impact within the community starts to, to flourish. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, when I look at our 2030 vision, I won't touch on it now, but when I share around that, it's we didn't have that day one, Jess. Mm. But when you start with the right intent, the old saying, you put the right things in from the outset, the right things are going to come out. And I'm just a huge believer that we're not perfect. We haven't got the perfect model, but we've tried to be a challenger almost in that space to say, well, no, 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 don't just give money for money's sake. Let's actually really look at social enterprise that continue to keep on giving. Um, you know, and that comes back to land jazz and property and property development and all that good stuff that we do here in Australia. Yeah. Um, it's not just going in and doing one thing and doing it once and think we've got the best um, solution. It's about challenging and critically assessing what we do on that daily basis to, to ensure that we are on the right track, where we're being financially responsible with the, the, the money that does come in and it can go a lot further than just a, a one-off donation. So how'd you first get involved? Um, so I guess just going, touching back on the family about, you know, we've always had a passion and desire. Ultimately, I would say the, the, the involvement and the opportunity come through, um, through church, through our church connections, and in particular a group, sorry, a church that I was going to a number of years ago. I've since, um, just because of geographic location, moved to another church. But the pastor at the time, and a lot of churches have a missions outreach, so to speak, to impact poor and disadvantaged and widows and you see that all around the world um so i got to know this quite a young pastor who once we had dinner one night he said oh geordie there's, there's a guy that you need to meet um and so that guy is the actual founder and owner i'm um, sorry the founder and, and board director of one heart and that is dean landy so dean and i then had lunch one day we didn't know each other from a bar of soap and mm-hmm. uh, a 30 a 30 minute conversation then quickly sent into about two and a half hours and it was at the point where Dean just said, listen, I've created one heart and it's now at a point where I need to formulate a board um, and, you know, let's keep chatting and, and would love to see if you want to be a part of it. So, again, it stems back probably, you know, years and years and years in the sense that I've always had a passion, a conviction, a desire to help on a, on a number of different levels, but it's then researching, understanding that the intent is there and the structure is there. Because, again, people have got, a lot of people have got good intent, um, but then you see the rise and the fall of certain organisations, and I, I won't name names, but you know mm-hmm. they're, they're met with scandals and all that sort of stuff. And I, I think a lot of the time people get caught up in the, um, in the hoopla of you know the marketing of this organisation or that one. But it, for us, it's just about the raw impact that we can have on the lives of so many people. And you know we're not seeking fame or fortune, and we just want to collaborate with really good people that understand what it means to impact. Um, one person's life and then and apply the multiplier, multiplier effect to that. So tell me then, Geordie, why Kenya? Why Kenya? So a very interesting story on that. So Dean, who I mentioned, founder, CEO, he 
So this is going back about 20-ish years ago. He did, I think, an exchange in Nottingham. Dean's a very well-known architect here in Melbourne. Um, did an exchange. And then part of that, he then took some annual leave or time out of study and went to India. Um, you know, as you do, you walk down Nottingham and you walk into a store and say, okay, let's go to a different part of the world. And I guess, in short, he was just met with some pretty horrific scenes. And he was really challenged personally. Just to, And effectively, after that first trip, he, he almost said to himself, if, if by the age of 30, and he's now early 40s, if by the age of 30 I'm not having a meaningful impact on the lives of the most disadvantaged people in the world, then it's a pretty big statement. I'm a failure. Mm. So I think that was his personal driver. And it probably took another sort of seven, eight, nine years before that sliding door moment would happen and he, you know, things would come together where he'd meet someone who actually was a Kenyan suffering health issues in Australia um, and Dean just sort of on the spot this guy, I don't know how or when or why, but I'm going to commit to coming to Kenya um, at some point in the future and just see if there's anything that I can help, you know, in that local community. And um, and you sort of fast forward essentially two decades later from that moment in India to where we are today um, and One Heart's a beautiful, thriving village um, in Kenya, but we've also moved into Uganda as well. Um, so, how did you feel, that, so, so how did you feel then, Geordie, the first time that you visited Kenya? Oh, it's interesting because it took me a little while in the sense that, and you know, our family just, we had, um, we, we, we struggled to appear to have a child and now we've got two beautiful children. But yeah, there was always sort of a, a, a series of events where it actually conspired against me to actually getting over there. So the first, I was passionate, involved, you know, doing fundraising, having a good amount to do here on the domestic front. Um, but I tell you, when, when I actually walked through the gates of one heart, um, for the first time and really got to feel and, 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 and get a sense for what, you know, the physical aspect of what we've done. Um, it literally, I'd, I'd almost say, it, it almost took my breath away, you know, to actually just stop, pause and reflect and have a look at the impact that, you know, basically a, a vision with a bit of passion, added a little bit of desire and hunger in there that can actually achieve the world. Um, so still, I think, People, we do an annual trip over there, but I think most people would literally come away um, with a similar type uh, view of the world. And my goodness, like this is just—it's not—it's not massive, Jez, by any stretch, but the impact. And then when you have the interaction on a daily basis with our kids, and it's quite a—it's quite a remarkable, um, quite a remarkable feeling. So very, yeah, very fond memory. First time we went over there. What about how, like you, you, you do regularly get back to Kenya now? Um, how do you feel when you leave? So we have um, so we have an annual trip. I've only been over there two times. The intent was for three, so um, but there was one time where I actually couldn't make it. But it's a really good question. We split this particular trip up across four key areas, so we're not just in the village for eleven full days. Um, but I tell you, there's there's tears and there's like there's genuine high emotion when you do leave because. Um, again, you just know the impact and the bonds that you're building with, you know, the management team, the teachers, the house carers or the home parents, but more so when you really drill down the relationship that you can build with a multitude of, you know, children and you know that this foundation and, and the support from people in Australia is literally transforming their lives. It's, it's pretty hard to get, to get a feeling like that, you know, in, in, in your mainstream um, day, you know, that we get caught up in the West. And again, I say that very respectfully, that when you allow yourself to actually stop 
um, and consider another person's life uh, in, a, in a purest sense and then to impact that, that life or that child. Um, yeah, it's quite, a, it's quite a remarkable feeling. So when I say the word orphan, mm-hmm. what emotions do you feel? Oh, look, I think um, I'm taking a breath there, Jess, because instantly my, in my uh, mind, I'm, I'm actually going back to the shelter. So this is the, uh, the Elder at Children's Shelter, which is where we get most of our, um, our you know, disadvantaged youth from or our disadvantaged children. And I ta- again, I take a breath because when, when we go there, like that is, it, don't get me wrong, it's a roof over the head, it's a meal a day, but it's not a solution. So, you know, that, that's sort of the, the market that we're dealing in, destitute, um, dare I say, raped, orphaned, abandoned street kids, you know, that come in and out of this particular shelter. So they're not an orphanage. It's just a government-sponsored shelter, but it's not a solution. Um, it's a temporary holding point. So, you know, that as soon as you said that word, that's where, I guess, my thought went to. Um, and even last year, I can vividly remember the conversations had with children, um, when we lead the team of 12 to 15 Aussies on, on this particular um, 11-day trip, you know, we spend half a day and we spend half a day there for a reason, to show them without one half, without their financial support. Um, you know, there, there really isn't a solution for these children. So, um, yeah, I guess in short, there's not a, not a great deal of the world when I think of that word, um, unfortunately, but that's, that's the reality of what we do. So I'm going to ask a couple more questions later on about uh, about the children themselves but Mm -hmm. I think it's important probably at this point to draw the connection to land and um, how you approach the land solution Um, so do you want to maybe explain to listeners how One Heart goes about providing um, the support and the services that they do and what's you know what's core to that? Mm, Sure so we I'll use the word holistic and maybe that gets thrown around a little bit, but for us, it's not just taking a child off the street and putting a meal on the table once a day and some clothes on the back. Like we, we genuinely, and I'm going to throw or I'll incorporate just the word land in there. When we look at a land opportunity, uh, we've got two beautiful plots of land in, in, um, in Kenya and one now in Uganda. Um, it really is that holistic view. It really is, you know, the land as silly as it sounds, is that foundational piece that we can then leverage upon to create a sustainable village or a sustainable community. So for us, really, that incorporates um, kindergarten, primary, secondary school. Um, We're in the unique position where we have built actually an award-winning school. Um, So we, and one of our social enterprises, we generate fees from uh, or income from local fee-paying students. So if you think, and don't quote me exactly on the numbers, but if you think 100 um, children that are now under our full-time legal guardianship and then around three to 400 kindergarten, primary, secondary, local fee-paying students, um, you know, the land component and the ability to build buildings on that is absolutely fundamental. We so, then build... So let's sorry. just go... Sorry, just let, let's go back and make this absolutely crystal clear. So as a charitable organisation, you purchase the rights to a plot of land and then you build the structures for the school, the orphanage and other community-based services for uh, for the locals. That's correct, isn't it? Absolutely. So if on our very first block, let's just call it 10 acres even, we're on a beautiful river, 
um, kindergarten, primary, secondary school, a number of um, homes, so actual homes where our children, and they're segregated between male and female, they have house parents in there. Um, farming aspects, we've built a bakery, we've got a skills training and entrepreneurial centre, which is more of that broader impact into the local community. Like, r- literally, the kids aren't wanting for anything, you know, and we're also impacting the broader community across um, that, that value chain. You know, it's not just education. It is literally, um, you know, fruit and vegetables, cattle, as I mentioned, the bakery, which is award punching, pumping out award winning bread and then selling that into the local economy for a, for an income stream, um, you know, different farming techniques, really engaging with a multitude of people around the surrounding communities um, and, you know, employing up to around 65 staff as well. Um, you know, so genuine impact on the community. And the goal uh, is for these to become financially self-sustaining financial enterprises, which enables you to not only replicate it, but it also ensures that you've got sustainability of the projects themselves and the and the great you know goodwill and 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 opportunities it creates for the local community and society. Absolutely spot on, Jez. You know, one thing we were very big on, uh, and more so that we hammer home as a board, we don't just want to be another. You know, again, I'll use the word another charitable organisation. People, by and large, Jed, people are sick to death of charity. Um, and again, I'll try and say that as respectfully as I can. You know, yeah. you've just got to walk down and there's someone, you know, with a can and someone stopping you. Excuse me, sir. You know, can I, can we talk to you about this? You know, whatever it may be. And I think by and large, you know, especially in this environment, the last four to five months, like as individuals, we're dealing with our own stuff, <laughs> you know, whether it's family issues or working from home or, unemployment, you know, there's a whole range of things. So the next thing someone doesn't want is a, a charity being smacked in your face and demanding more money and trying to differentiate. So for us, from the outset, Jez, and I will put on record, we are not there yet, but my goodness, as a board, we are absolutely working hard behind the scenes to make sure that we are financially, you know, let's call it cost even, but then as we just continue to grow, that we are cash flow positive because, you know, putting a can out the front of the door and hoping people, you know, use the word hope, hoping people put money into it. It's not a strategy. It's not sustainable. So when we can not only transform the lives, and I'll use a rough figure again, of 100 children per per community or you know, block of land that we work in, and then we've got another three, 400 external fee-paying students, then we're selling cattle, then we're baking bread and selling it into a community, then we're upskilling local talent, then we're employing you know, up to 60-odd people, once you can get to that to a point, and we're probably at around, again, don't quote me on this, we're probably sitting at about 80-ish percent of our annual cost to run that children's village or, you know, the actual village itself. Um, so we're not that far off from being lineball um, cash flow neutral, so to speak, and then with other initiatives, we can start to move into the positive, and then you get that multiplying effect. So uh, what happens, com- Geordie, when you go into the positive? Yep. Um, what's What happens to the cash flow? Yeah, look, I mean, it, there's, there's always something, Jez. You know, there is literally always a need. There's a septic tank. There's more fruit. There's more chickens to buy. But, I mean, that's at a very, you know, micro level. Realistically, and I might just share our 2030 vision, 
um, that we cast about two years ago, one Sunday as a board here in Melbourne, was once we started to look at all the different moving parts, the children, as in the, that we are the legal guardians of, the local fee-paying students, the Skills and Entrepreneurial Training Centre, the medical centre that we set up recently, the guest house that we've converted and are generating income from, the bakery, the list goes on. We actually started to see that just based on one, let's call it a 10-acre block of land, uh, and that community or that village, um, which is one heart, I'm not talking about the entire geographic region of the community, but our one heart presence, we actually can hit about five to 6,000 people a year directly through what we do. Now, I want to make it very clear, that's not five to 6,000 orphan children, mm. but it's that whole holistic community aspect. So we actually cast a vision that day, which was pretty daunting, but... You know, you need to stretch and, and, and climb the summit, you know, each and every day. Is that we, through through this model, we then cast a vision that we want to effectively um, create 15 villages impacting about 100,000 lives on an annual basis. Um, and the model for us, Jez, is very much to, we've, we've refined the model. It's, again, it's not perfect, but it's, it's, it's very, very strong and it's, we're always tinkering with it to improve it. But then we want to say, let's stop that in Cambodia or let's stop that in a rural part of Vietnam. So long as we've got the right relationships in that, in that country, we effectively then want to have a, a, um, a model that we can then expand upon and replicate, which is a long-winded way to answer where would that extra money go. Um, so we always need capital expenditure, you know, no doubt, because to buy land now in Kenya, as an example, is not cheap. Um, but once you've established the land holding, you've bought that, and then you build out the actual um, infrastructure, um, it then comes down to an operational component. When you throw in the social enterprises and the income-producing aspect of that, that's where we're really comfortable about that we think um, with a strong conviction that we are on the right track. So tell me, could you could the project work if you didn't own the land, if you were just a leaseholder? No. You could make it work just for a period of time, but, you know, tribal... Um, environments over there, who knows what could happen. So I'll probably go out on a limb and, and, and confidently say no. We could make it work for a period of time, but you know, hope is not a good strategy. We hope that a, a ruling party doesn't come in. You know, we can't we can't rely on that. Um, so fundamental to us is that you know that genuine acquisition of that asset um, that we then hold you know within the foundation. We will partner with groups, you know, and then get some land if we need it short term, maybe grow some maize and get a yield and a crop from that or put some dairy cows on there. But, yeah, by and large, we need that asset as that foundational piece. What sort of response did you get from the locals when you first turned up um, wanting to buy some land to start? Yeah, uh, what's it called? Drive the price up. <laughs> when, they, when they see the white, when they see the white folk come in, Jez, you know, and where the Mzungos, um, you know, the white fella coming in, so they always associate that with money. But um, no, look, we, we've been met very warmly, and, and I'll also just put in there, we yes, we've got very strong government ties. We had a, actually a gala dinner in Nairobi for um, some pretty influential people over there, and Dean has spent an extraordinary amount of time building out the right relationships. Um, but yeah, for us. You know, we, we were warmly met and I think, you know, we're not about um, unintended consequences. We don't think we know it better than them. We don't want to be driving it on their behalf. We simply want to work in partnership and make sure that together we are creating great outcomes for, for the children of, of East Africa today 
and our vision, as I said, to 15 villages in different parts of the world will be for other countries as well. So tell me this, Geordie, who do you think gains the most benefit? Is it the the orphans or is it the general community as a whole? Oh, I might go a step further and say, you know, when I when I left left Kenya the first time, I would argue that I gained out of huh. it. And I say that in a very respectful manner. Like mm. what it what it, how it enriches the soul is just something that, you know, you can never really, really truly ascertain. But ultimately, you know, the model, no doubt, is that it is the children, and that was always the driving force. But you know, closely behind that is, is the the general community and the, and the broader population within a radius of that village, because we're now starting to look broader than just you know an orphan child. You know, it's, it's actually much more than that now. So, um, yeah, it, it really does cover a multitude of, of facets or moving parts. So what's so what sort of opportunity typically would one of those orphans have? What does their life end up looking like? Three coming in or coming in and then post? Um, if they weren't to come in. If they Sorry, didn't James. if they didn't have if the opportunity if they didn't have the opportunity to to um, to engage with the One Heart Village, um, that they were left to their own devices. Yeah, look, it's. I mean, there's so many heartbreaking stories in 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 general, you know, across all the children. So I'll make a couple of generalisations, but literally left to the streets, um, prostitution, um, to a certain extent, child trafficking, um, unwanted pregnancies from a very young age, uh, drugs, crime. Um, you know, I guess the the usual list of things, and I don't say that flippantly, but children impressionable that are you know they're they're left. Um, and they're, they're really the only option. So that's without coming into. Um, now, from time to time, you know, that uh, the, the shelter that I did mention, there are some good stories coming out of there generally, you know, but it's it's the lesser. It's not the majority. It's not the positive yeah. stories you want to see every day. So, yeah, by and large, it's, it's probably those key um, topics that I mentioned, which, you know, for any child is just devastating. You know, kids want to be... Educated, they want to have warm, happy, healthy families and have love and nurturing every day of the week. But unfortunately, as you know, in society, that isn't always the way it lands. So we're just wanting to make our mark as best we can, um, knowing that we can't transform every life, but we can absolutely play our part um, and then again see that multiplier effect over the years. And, and what I'm genuinely excited for is that intergenerational component. You take a child that was hit with the... Um, the, the unrest that happened about 10 years ago and, and you know, shocking stories of ch- children being orphaned through um, families being slaughtered, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, let's just say you, you rescue them from the centre and they were destined for life of crime and drugs. You know, you get them in, let's just say they're an eight-year-old today, you get them in and you, you wrap them with love, you put in sustainable um, models and practices and there's an element of psychology, there's education, they've got 100 brothers and sisters instantly, they've got literally a house, mum and dad that look after them. Um, and then, you know, you break that poverty cycle, you you raise up future leaders and you've literally not only, I guess, changed their destiny, but the future intergenerational, should he or she get married, have kids, you know, you've literally broken that cycle. So the cool thing is, and we're never going to know the true impact, but the really cool thing is if we start to multiply this, um, this foundation and, and the amount of people that we impact, the stories in years and years and years to come that we'll actually never hear about, but we've played our part in, in transforming that life as a 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12-year-old. That's a, it's a really, really cool thing, I think. 
So going back to the commerciality, how much input do you have on the businesses that are run on the uh, run in the village? Yep. Um, so, and how much are they just? How much do they control and do themselves? Yeah. So again, we we want to obviously almost overarch from a strategy governance risk perspective here in Melbourne or here in Australia. We don't want unintended consequences, but in the same breath, we still want to give, you know, we still want to drive the endeavours over there with our full Kenyan board and our management team over there, general manager, principal, et cetera. So, you know, there's, again, we don't think that we know it better than them, but maybe just through, you know, businesses and, and, and access that we've had to here in Australia, we can absolutely set forth a path and a vision and then start to work together on that. So, what we don't want to do, Jez, is you know just say here's an initiative, go and make money out of it. You know, it's not about mm. that, but it's about working. And and of course, we're going to fall and stumble and fail from time to time. But it's about coming back, regrouping, assessing, understanding where we fell over, addressing that, and then moving forward. So, I would say whilst Kenya is quite an entrepreneurial nation, um, you know, there's also and again, I better be careful to say there's also an element of laziness there. So. Again, I'll use the word Mzungo. We they can't just rely on the Mzungos and have their hand out and saying, "Oh, guys, put through another fifty thousand shillings this month because we're short." Yeah, you know, we need to critically assess why they're short. How how's that come about? Um, and once we get to the bottom of that, let's sort of reassess, let's train, let's educate, make sure we don't come unstuck again. Because again, if we're empowering these people, we need to live and um, and breathe that, not just say it. You know, it's nice marketing spin. So actively involved, but still very strong in encouraging, nurturing, supporting these guys to, to really drive initiative. So that concept of, uh, you know, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. Yep. Um, that concept underpins your approach. Have you also found that with the education and just the, um, uh, I guess for lack of a better word, um, in fact, I can't even think of the word, um, for lack of a better word, mentoring. Have you found that there's a uh, an improvement across the community in general with regards to, you know, them wanting to um, or finding opportunities and, and, and creating commerce? Yeah, absolutely. I, do. I mean, just back to the given man of fish, we always say, Jez, one, one step further is we go one step and literally say that let our young and un- un- upcoming entrepreneurs establish an in- income-producing fish farm. Yeah. You know, so it's not – and that's and I, I laugh at that because we, we genuinely believe in that. And our kids that just embrace, um, I guess, that social enterprise is, is quite remarkable. The ability – we actually built a, um, a pig pen two years ago. And we actually took three of our – young boys they're probably 15 16 and we actually took them into the local community we had a business plan that a local australian school did a melbourne williamstown school um and so we actually physically took that over and then three of the young the young lads in the school went into the local market negotiated on woodwork materials negotiated on livestock you know so that's just on on the kid level but absolutely through the skills training and entrepreneurial center that's really our vision to make sure that you know you're a painter today jez and let's just say that for whatever reason, um, you know, the painting industry over there is, is struggling, mm-hmm. but mechanics is flying. So let's spin up a course, uh, you know, something that's relevant so people can come in from the local community, get a, a trade or a skill, and then go back out and produce income for their families. Um, we're really, really excited and proud of 
that initiative and, and the impact again that that will have for generations to come. I think it's absolutely fantastic, and and I want to pick up a little bit further on that with regards to back in Australia. I mean, obviously we can understand what's going on in Kenya. So how does it work back in Australia with regards to engagement within the community here? Um, and then after you've spoken about that, I want to move on to the fundraising side of things. Mm. So sorry, Jess, just go back to that first aspect in terms of locally. Yeah, locally. Yeah, so you know, you, you spoke about you know engaging with a Williamstown school, etc. Yep. Um, yep. So what other sort of things is One Heart doing? You know, back in Australia. Yeah, so I'll, I'll probably intertwine the two if I may, from a fundraising perspective because they typically go hand in hand. But what we've been able to do is with the, the local board um, that we have here structured in Melbourne, we've almost set up not a sub-board, but we're, we're almost calling them ambassadors because um, through our, our daily interactions, like you and I just have had in the last two or three years, we've had about one heart. You know, you're a professional, you've got a successful business. So as a board, we're, we're sort of, we're in the local community every day. We're doing commerce, we're in business, you know, so we're, we're, we've got the privilege of obviously having a core focus of what we do, whether that's technology or property or architecture, but then you can then have a separate discussion around, well, this is what we're doing overseas. So quite often we're seeing a considerable amount of people that are coming and saying, my goodness, you know, I'd love to be involved somehow. I don't want to be on the board. Um, mm. But, you know, they, they just want to give something, which is awesome. It could be IP or, you know, it could be an introduction. So with that school, um, we've had a, a particular woman that, that Dean met. Um, she's doing her PhD, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, um, built this really cool school in Williamstown, just in terms of very much project-based learning. Okay. Um, and so what we've done is um, actually Dean's children go there, but there was this initiative where they wanted to do a fundraising event. One thing led to another where they said, well, hang on, let's actually, why don't your students here in Melbourne research what it would bring to, you know, to bring a, a cow or a pig pen up to the market mm-hmm. um, to go and buy some stock. So it was literally this mini business plan. And again, don't quote me, drafted by a bunch of 11 and 13-year-olds, yep. little cash flow analysis and all that sort of stuff. And then we took that over there. So again, that, that community engagement, just having Monday to Friday discussions in business opens up another door. Um, we had a quite a successful uh, wealth manager out of Sydney, if I'm not mistaken, who literally uh, took a team of 15 or 20 entrepreneurs to Kenya and, and One Heart and they did some facilitation and planning days, poverty er- eradication. Um, now, now he won't want to actually sit on our board and do P&L and you know, administration on a monthly basis, but my goodness, let's breathe life into his skill and his passion. And all of a sudden, you let him loose into the marketplace and he's you know, running around as an ambassador, um, bringing in some really good ideas. So that's sort of just two very quick examples. You know, fundraising, we do a biannual gala dinner. So last year, we had about 500 people at the Grand Hyde in Melbourne. Um, and in that one single event over six hours, we managed to achieve or raise about $200,000 even. Um, it's a hell of do, an effort. Yeah, look, it's, it's, um, it was a really good night. We had Shane Jacobson, Kenny, uh, mm-hmm. the Australian actor, as, as the MC, And we literally had some world-class um, auction items like trips to Antarctica and the Maldives and stuff like that. Um, but to get 500 people, Jez, in Melbourne, you know, who, who essentially, I would say 70% of them, 60% probably didn't know who One Heart was okay. uh, and the impact. So to have that for... You know, captive audience for six yeah. hours. It was a pretty remarkable event. 
Um, every July, albeit this year we missed it, we have what's called our annual run from poverty, uh, and that's effectively about 12 to 15 self-funded individuals, the, the Jezzes of the world, the influx of the world that you know want to go over experience something in its purest form. Um, we, we almost do business forums or you know um, how to leave a legacy, a lasting legacy, and that means something different to you, Jez, to what it means to me. Yeah. Um, you then come over, you've got the chance, I'll say this with a smile on my face, you've got the option to run a marathon in the home of running, which is Kenya. Mm-hmm. Um, and on that day, we have about a thousand local community people, teachers, governors, tribesmen, tribeswomen, elders, um, and the Aussies either run or walk a certain amount of uh, a distance. And then we conclude with this massive day um, in, in the village with food and all that sort of stuff. We usually lay foundation stones, but on new buildings, but every person from Australia or around the world that comes over, the commitment is, Jez, you have to raise $10,000. Yeah. Uh, and the beautiful thing with that is it's not just 10000 and you don't know where it goes. You will then start to see the projects that we initiate in that 11-day trip um, and you know that you know the support that you've got from your clients and business contacts and family and friends, you actually physically see where that money goes. It's a really, a really powerful experience. And then we end up in the Masai Mara. Um, for two days, you know, chasing the big five um, across the game park. So a really amazing yeah, experience. Yeah, so that's sort of two very quick ones. In my network, Jez, you know, I love property and I've had this, and I, I think I touched on with you a little while ago, I've had this idea of, um, you know, bringing together some like-minded people that um, love property and, and want to do property for purpose. So let's just say you, you, you build two townhouses um, you work out a distribution and it's, you know, it's above bank interest and it's a good distribution, but it's not all the profit. Once you pay back your debt, um, you clear, you know, all your expenses and you pay a distribution to the investors, whatever we're left from that, we then make a deductible contribution to transform the lives of more and more people. Yeah. Um, so I'm not there yet, but it's something that I'm um, working on and, and really excited to hopefully bring to to my network in the not too distant future. Well, I'd certainly back you in on that one, Geordie, because you've got a uh, pretty... Uh, strong history of delivering um, and I just wanted to mention or ask you quickly about um, the cattle that you've got at home mm-hmm. so from a from a fundraising and, and sustainability point of view from a cash flow point of view of uh, of one heart mm. yeah so we again I had this idea on the back of our first gala dinner which was back in 07 and a lot of a lot of work went into that um, and don't think we're wrong, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. It's a great event. It's great brand awareness. But I just started to think around, you know, the ability to um, maybe sublease some land. Um, you know, the power is back in the land. And when you look at cattle, and I'll use a very simple scenario, you buy a little beast that's 300 kilos heavy, um, you know, a couple of months old, and then you sell that into an, an open market sort of 12 to 15 months later at 600 kilos weight. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a good little investment vehicle that can then generate some some free cash flow, um, and that we can then send that money overseas. So that was just an idea that we had here, but probably more to your desire, Jez, tapping into the value of land and you know having those those cows roaming on good quality land up in Mount Macedon. Um But yeah, we had a, a nice chance to engage with a farmer that literally opened up um, a certain amount of acreage for free, like literally didn't even charge us. Yeah. Um, you know, adjustment fees or whatever the word is. So, um, yeah, we're always, again, because most of the board is sort of business orientated on a, a Monday to Friday basis. And if you go back to the original desire to create what we're creating, it's about um, disrupting. And I'll, again, I'll be careful using that word, not 
putting charities out of business, but looking at the model critically and saying it's just not sustainable. How can we actually do it better? Um, so, you know, I think nearly most client discussions I have on a daily basis, you know, you're, clients want to know how's everything over in Kenya and Uganda? What are you doing? What's the next project? When's the next gala dinner? Um, so it's a nice thing just to have that, you know, that relationship buy-in. So you spoke earlier about the um, 2030 vision. Mm-hmm. What does the future look like for One Heart over the next, say, you know, three or four years? What, what yeah, are you expecting to achieve? Yeah, it's a really good, um, it's a great question, and I'll, I'll answer it probably in two parts. We've got the literally the current environment that we are dealing with. So yeah. 20, 2020 for us, Jess, has, I'll use a couple of words like it's been a year of recalibrating, reassessing, mm-hmm. um, which is great words to use. It by no means is a end of the world type stuff, but it really um, has, has enabled us in a positive sense to almost pull up the handbrake on some of our project endeavors or project initiatives and really just start to say, well, hang on, what can we do this year? Yeah. So that's, you know, just sort of what we're dealing with at the moment. But I will put on record, you know, from, from the children that are under our legal guardianship, absolutely humming along, you know, in terms of education, health, welfare, yeah. Yeah, um, the house, everything is locked down and we're doing a great job. So we're very pleased with that. I might just quickly duck to Uganda. Last year, we, we ventured across the border and we, we welcomed 50 um, children into the One Heart village, but we reversed it. In Kenya, we built it and they came. In Uganda, they've come, but we haven't built it yet, okay. if that makes sense. So what we're doing is we've picked up 50 children. We've gone into partnership with local pastors, churches, community leaders that we've got some over the last 10 years. Um, we've got them into a school that we're then paying that school to educate our kids until we build the building, yeah, until okay. we build etc. So I'm pleased to say we did a fundraising initiative last year um, and we managed to pick up 10 beautiful acres of land that a lot of Aussies supported. Um, I think we raised you know, a really good sum of money within sort of you know three to four weeks, blew our expectations. Um, and I don't know, Jez, you're like this, maybe people love the power of land and we threw out you know, that we want to raise X dollars to acquire land and the amount of support we got was literally mind-blowing. So we managed to secure the 10 acres, but now it's about that operational, um, sorry, that capital expenditure to build the villages. So, you know, the next three to four years, we'll just keep refining the model. We'll, we'll, we'll start to build out more stuff in Uganda. Um, we'll keep an active eye out for other opportunities and partnerships um, for areas that are that are needing where we feel the services of One Heart and, and the model. Um, and we'll continue to look at those strong partnerships um, across East Africa and, dare I say, in different parts of the world as well. I think you're right, though, when you said before, Geordie, about people's uh, affiliation with the land. I think that whole idea of having a charity that is striving to become self-sustaining is is really, I wasn't going to say the word novel. I'm not sure whether that's right or whether that's the right way to describe it, but I, I think you know what I'm getting at is it's typically not, as you said, most charities continually come cap in hand with a charity that's actually going to say, well, okay, we're cap in hand now, but our, you know, our, our vision is to um, actually make everything self-supporting. Uh, yeah. I, I think that you know it it's, makes it much easier, and you know you become much more confident about getting behind it. Uh, yeah. I think you're right. I mean, the, the land. I think it's such an important part. I mean, I was going to ask you to describe what it's like. I, I find it really interesting that 
that you immediately said that the acreage that you have in Kenya is alongside the river. So again, from a productive point of view, you know, you've got the use of the, the water and the river um, as well as the land, which obviously, and, and then the idea of, you know, the our five drivers that, that we always talk about, you know, the, the community you know, infrastructure, um, the way in which you're building schools and other businesses, um, technology, I'm sure the introduction of numerous technology and, and, and even technology with regards to um, improved ways in which local farmers are farming and, um, you know, engaging in business, I think is very important. And, um, you know, I think it's really, really clever that you're just creating uh, a, a an environment and a community, which in itself, you know, the more, the, the, the more, the more revenue the community and more opportunity the community creates, then it just creates more opportunity and more revenue. That's that's how society functions. That's how it works. And so, right. tell us, Uganda, what 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 does the land look like there? If we were to turn up and um and uh, and roll around in the fields there, Jordy, what's uh, what does that look like? Yeah, look, it's it's a it's, well, it's a beautiful plot of land. It's in you know, close to good infrastructure. Uh, we're just going about. Um, or in fact, I think we've already done the fence lining and stuff like that. So that's again, as I mentioned a little bit earlier on, we're reversing the model there. So mm. um, we've got you know a beautiful vision for what we want to do um, on that. But yeah, I think it always comes down to you know obviously location, price, the soil aspect, the orientation, um, proximity to, to commerce, and obviously hospitals, um, water. To obviously big driver for what we do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, all the key ingredients that you would typically look for here, you know, if you're doing a development in Melbourne or, or in Adelaide, wherever you may be, but um, yeah, it's not too different there. But I think the big component is you know, agriculture and farming is such a huge aspect over there. So yeah. we always want to make sure that we're um, you know, a, a good chunk of the land is available so we can actually yield you know, a good amount from crops and, and, and do some farming. And, As we would and say, Geordie, you just want to make sure that you've got the green pastures. Exactly right. There's nothing wrong with that, is there, Jez? Absolutely not. So tell us, if people want to get involved, they want to find out more, where do they go? Yeah, look, great great question. I think, you know, we've got we've got a, a website which is www.omehear.foundation, so oneheart.foundation. And um, I'd always encourage, Jez, if you wanted to share my email address and people wanted to get in touch directly, I'd obviously welcome a, an email and then a phone call. Um, you know, that's that's sort of at the at the high level. Um, we, we run a number of different initiatives. There's child sponsorship, there's scholarship um, packs for, for education. We've got the building challenge. So we actually have a number of tradespeople most Christmases that go over and, um, you know, literally sparkies, plumbers, um, painters, etc., that actually go and work in the village because they usually have about four weeks of downtime here in Australia. Yeah, okay. Uh, we have our gala dinner that runs typically every two years. We have our annual, again, this year we've been hit, um, but we have our annual run from poverty event, which is we, we had um, Catherine Droger, who used to be the chair of Tourism Australia. She was on our board for a period of time and literally, I mean, here's a woman that understands tourism and travel and she went to Kenya and literally um, you know, in her own words, it transformed her life to the point where she's now doing. Um, she she resigned from that position, quite a prominent position, and now does sort of eco travel tourism and for purpose type travel adventures. Um, so it really is a truly life transforming um, journey for those business people that do choose to go over there. 
and literally immerse themselves in um, in, the, in the culture and the life. Um, so if anyone had two weeks and were happy to self-fund $5,000 and raise 10000 it seems like a big amount, but once you understand the impact, yeah. the 10000 is probably the easiest thing you can do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's then we've got the ambassador side of things, Jez, so people, you know, literally that come into our path and say, I've got an idea, can I run it past you? There's volunteers on the domestic front. There's, there's a lot of different things, but... You know, for me, Jez, I always say five key words, and that is we can all do something. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've seen over the years that people, and again, I say this respectfully, people, when they hear of something, and I'm not just talking about one heart, oh, I've always wanted to do that or I'd love to be involved. Mm, it's yeah. actually about making that commitment. It's about doing something. And that might be a $55 sponsorship per month. It might be, you know, donating some secondhand laptops that we physically take over every year to put into our computer lab. Um, you know, we've all got abilities and, and talents that everyone's been gifted with on different levels. It's actually a matter of stopping, reflecting and saying, well, hang on, what, what could I do? And I always challenge people, you know, whether they get involved with one heart or not, if you've got a desire to do something, take 10 minutes out of your day, go down to the local street and buy a homeless person a meal. Yeah. Yeah. Have a, have a genuine heart to heart conversation with someone. You know, in your own, literally in your own backyard. It doesn't have to be in another nation. Um, we're excited by what we do, and we always challenge the people that do come on the 11 days. And you literally do. You're sitting in the Maasai Mara. You've just chased the big five that day. Um, you've got tribesmen around you as you're having dinner, and we start to reflect on, you know, the legacy that you may want to leave. And we always say you don't have to commit to one heart. You've already committed by coming over, raising 10,000. But is there a soup kitchen, Jez, in Adelaide that you could have a direct impact on today? I just think that's a, that's a really powerful lens to look through. And dare I say, the world would look, would look vastly different if we just slowed down a little bit um, and asked our neighbour or, you know, can we help? Is there anything we can do? I would hope to, given what's going on at the moment um, from a community, you know, basis that, uh, that we've all reached out and, and, and done that. Um, mm, with our neighbours and, and friends and, um, you, you know, I, and as you said, you know, the impact that you can have, um, it, it is super important. Everyone can do something, can't they, at, at, mm. at whatever level. You know, if we all make an effort, then, um, you know, we certainly have a, um, you know, can create a huge impact. Mm, absolutely. And you don't have to sit on board, says You don't have to run gala dinners. You don't have to, you know, try and spin up property developments for property for purpose. You don't. Literally, it literally comes down to... You know, in my, with, with the skills that I've got or the talents that I've got, how could I just make a small contribution? And I'm not talking financially. That's lovely. Yep, we need it, no doubt. But it's actually it's actually bigger than that. It's it's how can we bring intellectual property and ideas? And I mean, how many chats did you and I had, Jez, about ideas? And yep. Jez, what's your thoughts on this? Yep. And can yep. you, I mean, the amount of knowledge and the value that I take from you in another state with your knowledge to say, gee, maybe I could look through this lens, yep. hang up the phone, model some stuff out you know it's just it's just i don't know that's i hope hopefully say we've encouraged some people just in this environment to to look through a slightly different lens not saying that we're not battling our own stuff because everybody's battling something today. correct and we always are that's the thing you know there's always something that's isn't it. there there's there's always something that's taking your time or you know makes it difficult but you know at the end of the day you've just got to be a doer don't you you just got to get it done Doing does it, Jez, a saying that I heard many, many years ago, doing does it. <laughs> That's very, very true. Well, Geordie, yeah. it's always, uh, I'd say, inspirational, actually, to uh, to talk with you. I'm, I'm just super impressed 
um, how you've embraced the function of land in a into a charitable solution. Um, you touched on this idea before that you know understanding land and how it impacts in society it's not well understood um, mm. and I reckon it leads to a lot of energy being wasted with really noble intentions but sadly without understanding how land can impact on a lot of social initiatives it means that you just don't stand a chance of making a sustainable long-term impact um, and the fact that one heart understands this, and is doing everything they can to ensure that long-term sustainability of their projects. I, I think it's absolutely fantastic, and I'd I'd really hope that um, uh, that that people do check out um, that one heart. So it's it's one heart, just the word as you said, O N E H E A R T dot foundation. Um, go and check it out. I'd love people to to get involved, whichever way you want um, to support because. You know, it is a great. Um, it, it is a great. Um, uh, it's a great community that you're creating over there, uh, and I thank you for both joining me and also for what you're doing um, over in uh, both um, in Kenya and Uganda. Uganda. No, yeah. I, my genuine pleasure, Jez. And one thing I just want to sincerely thank you for the opportunity to share a little bit more about the work we're doing. And you know, I think it's a topic that's passionate, passion for both you and I. And you know, to, to underpin it by the land component. It's a pretty cool thing as well. So thank you sincerely again for the opportunity today. O-N-E-H-E-A-R-T dot foundation. Go and look it up. To our listeners, I say thank you very much. Uh, remember, of course, we'd love to help you on your property journey. So feel free to contact us with any of your questions or queries. And of course, get in touch with Geordie Hill at One Heart. Don't forget to like, subscribe, or leave us a rating. I've been your host, Jeremy Cowan. Thank you, Geordie Hill, for joining me, and you've been listening to Property, Australia's favourite obsession. Until next time, let's keep obsessing about property. You've been listening to Property, Australia's favourite obsession. Any opinions, views, or recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of the individual and should be considered general in nature, as they do not consider your personal objectives or financial circumstances. You should therefore consider these matters yourself before deciding whether the advice is appropriate to you and if you should act upon it. Should advice be sought, please seek an appropriately qualified advisor. Investing may not be appropriate for everyone as there is inherent risk and the possibility of loss when investing in financial assets, just as there is the possibility of profits. Your host, Jeremy Cownan and Cownan Flack Proprietary Limited are authorised representatives of PGW Financial Services Proprietary Limited. AFSL 384713.